Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Dr. Rishi Desai, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Janine Versi. Janine is the COO and one of the co-founders of Electra Health, a platform for women navigating hormonal health, starting with perimenopause and menopause. She's previously worked in healthcare and at the U.S. Commerce Department. I'm really looking forward to asking her about that varied experience and learning all about Electra Health today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Janine, can you tell us a little bit more about your background, your career path, how you got started? Sure, absolutely. I have had a, certainly a nonlinear career trajectory. I think it really starts with growing up in a household with two physician parents. One was a is a urogynecologist, the other a GP. And so the dinner table, myself and my two sisters, so three girls was sort of dominated by topics of women's health. And so that was early and often. And I started my career actually at Google in tech. Um, this was in the earlier days of the internet when YouTube was like the latest and greatest thing. Would video ever be monetized was the question of the era. Um, I later went to business school having spent a little bit of time in tech. I worked on microfinance, focused on women in India. I was really interested in healthcare and how tech and health would intersect. It was right around the time of the ACA. And so at Harvard Business School, I spent a lot of time looking at this new category of digital health and plan to really focus on that. Um, but then had the opportunity to join the Obama White House, which was a bit unexpected and thought, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So you mentioned the Department of Commerce. I had had a business background and was recruited to be a political appointee to help to run part of that on behalf of American businesses. And so that was a, a fantastic experience, great management experience and public service, and then returned to the health tech world. Worked with a number of different companies before joining my co-founder to really dive into women's health in an area which is deeply underserved, specifically around perimenopause and menopause and women's health in their 40s and 50s and beyond. That's an incredible story. I'm just so impressed. When you got that call to be part of the Obama White House, were you kind of hemming and hawing or was that sort of for you just a clear green light? Well, I had actually applied for a summer fellowship because I, you know, one of the great things about being in grad school was being exposed to all these other career paths that never even occurred to me, to be honest. So I applied and didn't think I would necessarily land the role. But when that opportunity arose, it just, there was no hemming and hawing. It was like, when can I get down to DC? Um, and it was an incredible time and a very special part of my life that I look back on very, very fondly. So I'm going to use that as a segue of sorts. So a big change, uh, menopause is another obvious big change in someone's life, a lot of emotional change and physical change. What is the traditional model where women are cared for when they're going through menopause? It's an excellent question, partly because there is so little education for providers. Um, my husband is an internal medicine physician. And so as I was looking to the space, one of my first questions was, what was your training like? Um, and it was basically nil. There's been a study out of Hopkins that shows that roughly 20% of OBGYNs cover menopause medicine in their residency training, which is pretty shocking when you think about you know, the universality of the menopause transition. I'm not a physician, but as far as I understand from our founding physician and our medical advisors is really related to symptoms and symptom management. And so an important starting point is a full history and 
to really dig into what symptoms present and how severe they are, and then evaluating what kind of interventions the patient is comfortable with, because it really has to be tailored to their needs specifically, whether you're considering a hormonal treatment, estrogen, progesterone, or if you're going to consider non-hormonal pharmacological interventions, or start with really focusing on lifestyle, whether that's sleep, nutrition, exercise, all of the sort of usual suspects. Um, And many women do want to start, quote unquote, in a more natural approach, but the severity of the symptoms, I think, dictates what that path and plan should look like. So that brings me uh, right into kind of how does Electra approach this, given the spectrum of situations that women are going to be in? So we take a a holistic approach to women's health. Our founding physician is a board-certified OBGYN. She's on faculty at Mount Sinai and has really devoted her career of late to gynecology for women in midlife and has a fellowship in integrative medicine. And so brings this lens to our philosophy of care, which is really around highly individualized care, meeting women where they are, starting with education so they really can be aware of what solutions are available to them, what symptoms are part of this menopause experience and are considered normal, and then tailoring our approach accordingly. And so we offer personalized care through telemedicine, so one-on-one with our providers, as well as a whole suite of virtual educational programs to help women really understand you know, what is happening to their bodies and what can they expect? And we hear this time and again, caught me by surprise. I, you know, was experiencing what I now know is brain fog, but I thought I was, I took myself to the emergency room because I was worried that I was having a stroke or um, that it was something, you know, sort of far more serious and acute. And so this sort of panoply of symptoms is really important for women to be educated about so that they can then do something about it because there are safe and effective treatments out there, but we infrequently kind of educate women about that in their 30s and 40s so they can be aware of it when they arise in perimenopause. You mentioned your partner went through internal medicine training and didn't really get a lot of education around menopause. And in my own experience, it's very similar. When I went through, I didn't really learn much about it and have had to kind of figure it out as I've gone along. Even the connection between nutrition, exercise, and symptoms like brain fog was really not taught in any formal way. I'm curious if you're seeing a change in terms of how clinicians today are being taught, specifically not just medical doctors, but PAs, nurse practitioners, RNs, and even other allied health professionals. Yeah, absolutely. I do believe that menopause education is changing and that providers are increasingly aware of the need to be educated um, because menopause is so multifaceted and it affects so many different systems of the body. And so an example would be how the North American Menopause Society, which establishes a bold standard of research and, and protocols that we follow very closely, brings together nurses, NPs, physicians and others um, across the spectrum to really learn about each other's specialties because you need to know about both you know gynecology and osteoporosis if you're going to be effectively addressing the needs of women who are going through this. And, and I'll say that part of the reason that I think we're seeing a shift in education, I hope that you know we are part of that changing of the narrative because it is a taboo topic and it's still stigmatized, but we've seen this shift around topics like fertility and mental health. We need to see more, but the menopause I hope is following a similar trajectory in terms of becoming more mainstream. The more you 
talk about these topics and women understand what is part of this transition, how to prepare for it, the more they'll ask their providers and create a virtuous cycle in that sense. You know, in the broad scheme of medicine, there's also another kind of phase shift happening where we're moving away from disease management to health optimization. And I'm curious how Electra reframes menopause in that same way is not just something to get through, but really being a transformational experience that can be very empowering for women as well. Totally. I, I think that that's really at the heart of our philosophy. So understanding where women are, helping them identify and validate their experiences. And a lot of this is very isolating for women because they're going through it at different times and phases. And perimenopause can last from five to seven years. Some women experience hot flashes for 10 to 15 years and, you know, sort of super flashers as I think they've been referred to in the literature. And so there's a lot going on at different times and you may not know what another woman is going through. So it is really important to first understand and validate what is happening and then to help lay a roadmap for what you can do about it, the changes that women can make and to have the agency to pursue those. And that includes lifestyle change, medical options, and then to really think about this as the gateway to an incredibly uplifting phase of life and the next third to half of your life. And, and we often hear women who talk about going through menopause as it being an incredibly liberating and creative period. And this doesn't get talked about nearly enough. It sort of has this connotation of women fading from relevance or aging. And I think that we really are seeing a shift and we want to help, you know, superpower that shift um, where women in their forties and fifties and sixties are powerful and influential and really changing what we think of when we think of women in society in the next half of their lives. That makes a lot of sense. I'm also wondering how Electra thinks about data, you know, as we have more and more patient-centered care, a lot of the data for a patient belongs to them, they own it, rather than having that owned by their doctor or their doctor's office or hospital. How does Electra fit into that shift that's happening as well around data? First of all, we just need a lot more data around menopause. I think as with, with everything, if you don't study it and you don't devote the resources to the research, you can't come up with new innovation. And the space is certainly no exception. Um, women's health, I think, you know, has this issue in general, but, but menopause in particular, and relative to the reproductive phase where there's so much more research on pregnancy and infertility, for instance. But in terms of individual data, because we're, you know, we offer care through telemedicine, um, we have a, a HIPAA compliant intake form down the road, we would very much like to have women accessing their own data in a digital product, but we're early stage, so we're not there yet. But we think that amassing that data will be really interesting, for, you know, at an anonymized level and population level to really get a better understanding of the health outcomes and improvements that we see when we intervene in the menopausal years in the 40s and 50s, and how that can attribute to both cost reduction for the healthcare system and quality of outcomes for women who are living into their 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. Yeah, I imagine if you were able to kind of aggregate data that way, you'd find some interesting findings. You know, you might find that ginger tea helps women in their 60s much more than women in their 50s, or you might, you know what I mean? Like, I, I would imagine people would kind of pull out interesting nuggets like that. 
Yeah, I think definitely there's the opportunity for interesting nuggets. I think at a more fundamental level, it's, you know, how the women in this age of life, when they have kids, they're often, you know, moving out of the home, there's a lot more time and the possibility to focus on oneself and to be a leader in whatever that means to you, including, you know, staying in the workforce and really contributing in new and different ways. And so I think that there's implications for society. And then also in terms of there is some research done by Dr. Phil Sorrell at Yale on the economic impact of menopause and symptoms that go untreated. And women who suffer from hot flashes and night sweats tend to have four times the out-of-pocket spend on healthcare than women whose symptoms are treated. You know, that's huge for 50% of the population. The numbers get very big very fast. And so I think that there's at every level the opportunity for really important actionable insights. Yeah, that's a profound number. I mean, so if you're if you're seeing that sort of a cost savings, everybody should be vested in. Totally. And and oftentimes it's truly unfortunate that until people are looking at the cost savings data, the healthcare apparatus is just not paying attention to it. And I think that treating menopause has fallen victim to that time and again, because it is such a conversation-based treatment approach. I mean, certainly you can test for hormone levels like FSH and AMH, but NAMS doesn't necessarily recommend it because the findings can, as the hormones are fluctuating day to night, can change so frequently. So it's not as if there's this one number like an A1C that you're tracking really specifically. And so you have to take this kind of ongoing iterative conversational approach and our healthcare system often doesn't remunerate that. So I think um, cost savings is an important part of the equation, even though that's not certainly what I think is the most important thing for women themselves. It's their outcomes and quality of life. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, Janine, we're a teaching company. And so we're always kind of looking for moments to teach our audience and and myself as well about different things. Is there something that you've come across time and time again with your audience or with your patients where you know that there's a knowledge gap that you could fill us in on, like some common myth or something that goes misunderstood? Sure. I mean, I, I think that I would encourage your audience to really think about the importance of estrogen decline in a woman's body and how connected it is to brain health, bone health, metabolism. I think there is some good research on this. We certainly need more of it, but that it's so important to this painting this picture of preventative health and the ways to intervene and educate women in their post-fertility years, but with a view to the future, because the rates of osteoporosis are extremely high. And I think that, you know, when you're in your forties and you're not necessarily thinking about hip fractures or falls and breaks, but that is really the time to think about your calcium intake and change the way that you're exercising to be able to build up bone and muscle mass. And so I would really love for providers who are learning about this space and, and passionate about women's health to connect the impact of estrogen deprivation to these long-term health outcomes and to teach their patients about it. I'm curious if you have any sort of passing advice. You've had an amazingly diverse career, very interesting career, and where you are now is, is obviously very exciting as well. For those in the audience that are students, uh, young professionals kind of getting into the health space in any capacity, obviously you have parents that were there as well. What's your advice to them about meeting the challenges of the moment, especially now with COVID-19 happening in that context? What would you suggest to those folks that are out there? 
So first, I would just thank the next generation of physicians for taking this path and for contributing to society. I've certainly benefited and been privileged to have grown up around physicians. Um, I think that there is so much happening right now at the intersection of healthcare and technology and health policy, whether that's COVID specific or in other realms, but there are so many different ways to get involved. And so if that's something that's exciting, you can consider uh, becoming a medical advisor or to actually provide clinical care through technology enabled means. There's no shortage of options and the technologists and the business folks out there like me really need you know, your good advice and your expertise being on the ground, working with patients directly to translate into better experiences for users and how to improve outcomes ultimately. So would love to get to work with any of you who are interested in menopause, come and find me. You might get a lot of inbound email and other messages, Janine, with that. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It was really delightful. I appreciate your time. Sure. Happy to do it. Thank you. So I'm Dr. Isha Desai. Thank you for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Thank you. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.